This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. You never train with me anymore. Definitely gonna die. Sorry for being honest. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season four, episode 20 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Yoko Factor. As well as Gilmore Girls, Luke can see her face. We're getting to the end of the seasons. Things are reaching a boiling point now. Yeah, we might just do that thing where we watch all the episodes sequentially. I mean, we do watch them all sequentially, but I mean, like, quickly. I mean, we're going to watch one tonight, and I just have a feeling we're going to have to do the podcast tomorrow and do it again. Yeah, I know. We'll we'll see. That that might happen. Yeah. These had some similarities. Not a ton, a ton, but we'll talk about them. Yeah. We got the Buffy board game. Another one. Yes. Jasco from 20th Century Fox. Yeah, the Jasco game. We already have the other one, the Milton Bradley one. But this one is a lot like Arkham Horror, if anyone's ever played that, or Eldritch Horror. Sort of like a simpler version of that. I yeah. liked it. Way fewer mechanics. Yeah, we play a ton of complicated board games, so I don't know if it was just easy for us because like, these mechanics seem logical and familiar to us. Right, like it was a much simpler version of other games that we play. Yeah. But I'm excited to try it again. Yeah, we'll film one. Yeah. We said that about the other one. We still haven't done that. And we will, okay, people? We just have a lot of bad hair days. <laughs> It's not our fault. Just one of us, the hair will look terrible. You did have that whole bad hair year. Yeah, I mean, that's not not true. (laughs) Because I just grew my COVID hair out. We started watching the show Murderville. Yeah, it's like an improvised or half-improvised murder mystery. It's on Netflix. Will Arnett's like the main character. He's a detective and he's got a different assistant every week, which is just a random celebrity playing themselves, but they don't have a script. Right. And he's got to sort of like coach them through what's happening. It's pretty funny because they make them do different things. And at the end of the episode, the actual actor who's his quote unquote like trainee has to decide who they think the killer is. And you can kind of play along and follow the clues. Once you get the format though, I feel like it's like, yeah, it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious who it is. Yeah, I can't decide how I feel about it. Like we're going to watch all of them. We've already watched four of the six of them. And we definitely laughed at several bits. Some of it's kind of stupid, but I'm interested to know what other people think. Because we did improv, so it's I feel like I like and hate parts of it with that background. But I'm curious to see what the non-improviser thinks of it. It's not really an improv show. It's just an actor flying blind through yeah. a silly little play. It's funny that Will Arnett always plays that like high-status fool. <laughs> like It's just like his go-to comedy bit. Yeah. He's like, I'm totally full of myself, but like really, I'm super insecure. My favorite one so far is the one with Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, I say so too. But we've got two more to go. Can I tell you something? Yeah. We got another five-star review. Really? Yeah. Thank you so much to Alban Shun. Thank you. They say that our hilarious and irreverent commentary lives rent-free in their head. Oh. They even hear it when they watch other shows and that we're funny on those too. That's... I want to know more about this. (laughs) Did we take over someone's inner monologue? What what do we say about other shows? There's two people in your head? (laughs) I love it. I like it too. I hope we're not annoying. Yeah, I hope like when you try to sleep, we're not in there talking about pasta or something. Making fun of shit you did that day. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm excited to watch shows tonight because we get to have wine. Oh, yeah. We got a couple bottles from our last shipment left. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of our favorites. We, of course, have a partnership with Wink.com, an online wine company, where you get to take a quiz about what kind of food and beverages you like, and they tell you what kind of wines you like based on your food and drink preferences. It's a monthly subscription service, but you're able to skip a month whenever you like, but when you do want it, they'll send wine right to your house. And when you sign up using our promo code GILMORESLAYER at checkout, you will receive your first four bottles for just $29.95, plus free shipping. And you can get there by using the link in our episode description and social media bios. Don't forget to use promo code Gilmore Slayer at checkout. Um, you guys didn't hear this because I'm sure Stacey will cut it out, but she said prescription service the first time. Uh, it's not. If you're using this to self-medicate, you need to stop. <laughs> it's not good for you. It's good in moderation. I did. I did say prescription service. Maybe we'll pair with one of those next. So this week we started with Buffy. Stacy, tell us all about the Yoko Factor. The Yoko Factor is about Spike implementing his part of Adam's plan by ripping apart the Scoobies. And it's also about Angel visiting Sunnydale to patch things up with Buffy and the resulting conflict between Angel and Riley. Yeah, yeah. I knew Angel was going to be in this episode. And before we watched it, I said, please let Angel punch Riley in the face. And I got what I wanted. (laughs) Yeah, it wins this week uh, based on that alone. (laughs) If you haven't seen Angel, little backstory, Buffy went to L.A. to visit Angel because she heard Faith was there and was trying to kill Angel. So she went to help and Faith ended up asking Angel for his help with her whole redemption arc. And Buffy still doesn't trust Faith for obvious reasons, but Faith ends up confessing all her crimes to police. She goes to jail and then Buffy and Angel get into this big fight after she told him she was in love with someone else. And then he yelled at her and told her to go home. Also, subscribe to our Patreon where we do weekly Angel recap videos. Yeah. He also punched her. To be fair, she punches him first. Yes, yes, they did have like a punch, punch fight. Spoilers if you haven't seen Angel. If you haven't seen Angel, what are you doing? If you're this far and you're like, I'm saving Angel, you, know, you should be watching along. At least go watch these two episodes. Yes. Seems like an important part of the story. Yeah, you gotta know what's happening to Wesley, baby. I'm sorry, baby Wesley. <laughs> He's a baby in yeah. Angel. It's weird. It's a spell. It's fun. What are they called? Sanctuary and five by five and sanctuary. Yeah. In season one of Angel. Yeah. He's also not a baby in case you're like, oh, I'm intrigued. He's he's not doesn't turn into a baby. No, Brian was lying to you. He turns into a leather daddy. Yeah. He does when he first shows up. It's not wrong. Okay, so this episode takes place right after Buffy returns from LA. She comes back to her dorm and like lays down on her bed all sleepy sad. With her perfect hair. Her hair's beautiful this whole episode. You know, she just got off a bus, but looks great even after her nap. After her like uh, roof fight with like the Watcher Council. Yeah, the Watcher's Council showed up too in Angel. The guys that were hunting Faith. Go watch it. Go watch it. The new initiative commander is having some kind of weird Zoom with a man in Washington. He tells him they're still capturing a lot of demons, but it's getting a little overcrowded here, and morale is low. But the man in Washington says that it's unfortunate that Riley left the initiative, and they want him back. He starts to say that they've invested, like, a substantial amount of money in him, I think. Kind of gets cut off. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And the commander's like, yeah, we'll get him back. I think he'll be easy to find because he won't go too far from Buffy. And the guy in Washington is like, yeah, we don't have too much info on her. And the commander's like, yeah, she's just a girl. So either he's very confident that her being a slayer won't pose much of a problem when it comes to getting Riley back, or they're purposely not communicating Buffy's deal to Washington. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to read it. On the one hand, he might just be like kind of a sexist pig. Right. Like, who cares if she's a slayer? She's still just a woman. Yeah, yeah, we'll get her to cry and that'll incapacitate her or Mm -hmm. something. But it's clear from the last episode that he's aware that she's the Slayer and yeah. that Slayers kick ass. Yeah. It's so the it's, same guy. He's yeah. been a different person running the initiative every week for a while now, but it's the same guy. <laughs> so it seems like he's just like, we're not telling Washington about this because they're going to ask us to keep her alive. 
Adam is also underestimating Buffy. Spike's trying to remind him how she's managed to beat all three previous seasons' big bads. And she's going to be right there in the thick of it when all Adam shit goes down. And Adam says he's counting on it. And that Spike's killed two Slayers. Why can't he just, like, kill this one too? And Spike tries to blame it on his bad luck and his chip. And Adam's like, oh yeah, I can basically read your mind because of that chip. And then he says this whole long poem about how Spike must feel like a trapped animal wanting to break free and savage the land again. I like this because Spike is very much like, holy shit, that is exactly how I feel. I see why all these other demons just like worship you immediately. But I feel like the way Spike says it also indicates, yeah, that's a cool trick. You're obviously very smart and powerful, but I'm not just going to bow down to you. Like, I can still think for myself. Right. I liked this moment with Adam a lot. I told you, I don't really love Adam as a villain. Like, he shows up so late, and then we're like, what is your deal? And I honestly, I think his ultimate plan is really dumb. But there's a few moments with Adam where I think it's cool. Like, I like this little speech he gives Spike. Yeah. But I'm glad that by what Spike says, it kind of proves that those other vampires were super gullible and dumb, and a smart vampire can respect Adam, but not just, like, become a drone automatically. Right. Like, Angel, I don't think, would fall for Adam. Angelus, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I just want to be clear. Like, obviously, Angel's good. But you mean, like, an evil angel wouldn't fall for him. Right. Right. Because they're smart. Right. Maybe these other vampires are just young and respect their elders. I mean, a lot of creatures just respect power. Right. But I like that Spike was like, I respect you, but I'm my own dude. Right. But Adam says that he'll help Spike with his chip problem once he's got the Slayer where he wants her. And they decide that in order to make Buffy more vulnerable, they need to get her friends out of the picture. And since Spike can't physically hurt them, he's going to use everything he's observed about them by hanging out with them all season for some reason to emotionally manipulate them into distrusting each other so that they can tear themselves apart. It's interesting because Spike has mentioned before that her powers lie in, he mentions a couple things, like one, that she's really good at improvising, but also her like friend group is one of the reasons she's really strong. Like he realizes that in, I think, School Hard? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I feel like the show has kind of told us and shown us that before. For sure. I just think Spike has made that uh, observation before. Possibly. But also he's like, and maybe you're about to mention this, he like goes off to essentially be like, yeah, just, you know, I hate her, but like she's, uh, is real good. Mm-hmm. Like she will win. Like I have to admit that, uh, she's good. Yeah. And, and this is a good plan, honestly. Yeah. Considering his condition. And I said it was kind of stupid that he's been hanging out with them. And we talked about that a bunch, how it doesn't make sense that they just like continue to let him in. But he has learned a lot of information about them to use against them because yeah. of that. So I don't know. That's kind of good writing, I guess. This is where the title of the episode comes from as well, the Yoko factor, because he essentially tells Adam, like, I'm going to do just what Yoko Ono did and split up the Beatles. Yes. I will say about this scene, though, it seems I feel like Adam just, like, listens a lot to Spike. Mm. And part of me is like, I feel like Adam is super intelligent. <laughs> like He doesn't know about Buffy and her friends, though. Yeah. I feel like he d- should know about Yoko Ono. It's just, like, he consumes so much data. Right. I guess that's maybe not something he would search out. Well, Xander has gone to the collapsing Sunnydale High, where Riley's still camping out. He goes to bring him some extra clothes. Unfortunately, these are Xander's most ridiculous clothes that not even he would wear. I know. You could have literally just given Riley any of Xander's actual clothes in the show, and it would have been just as funny. Xander's dressed fine this episode. His yeah. sweater's got, like, a big dumb circle on it or something, but it... I mean, he's wearing, like, giant, colorful sweatpants, basically. Yeah. Riley. Right, that's what he gives Riley. And I just, I've never seen Xander wear pants like that. No. He wears dumb shirts, but he generally wears normal pants. They almost look like parachute pants. And then Xander acts all offended when Riley makes fun of him. I'm like, you don't want these, Xander. Riley's bummed because Buffy went to LA to visit Angel. 
But before she left, she told Riley all about Angel. So he's not exactly thrilled about her going to see her ex. And he and Xander kind of bond over how they both hate Angel. But Xander lets it slip how specifically Angel's curse can be lifted, which apparently Buffy left out. Riley does not like this. Do you think that she left out the fact that she had sex with Angel or the fact that that's what cures him? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I feel like... Because it almost seems like the idea of her having sex with him at all is what pissed him off. Yeah, it's weird though because she had sex once and it's sort of like, I mean, she's had sex with one other person. I mean, if she left that out, it might be weird, especially if she's like, we never had sex, but I don't feel like she would have lied to him. She would just would have admitted it. Yeah. I just don't know why that additional information is like so much more for him to take. In fact, I would almost think that this would make him feel more relieved. That she wouldn't have sex exactly. with him. Exactly. She's not going to go fuck him if he's going to turn evil. Right. And if Xander knows, Buffy knows. This was kind of funny, though. Xander's like, that's all ancient history. Don't worry about it. And Riley's like, well, she went running to L.A. to bone up on her history. And Xander's like, no, no, I'm sure it's boneless. Yeah. At Giles' house, he's practicing Freebird for his next open mic. <laughs> This was great. He sings, like, a good chunk of the song, and the camera is kind of circling around him. I was like, for sure there's someone standing in the room. Like, the whole gang is going to have walked in on him. He's going to be startled. So I knew it was coming, but I didn't know when. It was so great. It's Spike. He, he snuck in again. Giles is too busy with his music to perform that very simple keep the vampires out spell, I guess. But Giles just, like, squeals and drops his guitar. <laughs> so funny. Spike's there to heat up one of the blood packets he left. And to fuck with Giles' head. He tells him that he can get important files from the initiative in exchange for a year's supply of blood, lots of money, and a guarantee that he won't get slain. Giles is like, cool, cool, I'll tell Buffy to chill. And Spike's like, no, I I need her to tell me. And Giles is like, trust me, I got it. She totally listens to me, I'm her watcher. And Spike's like, oh, does she? Oh, are you? She barely listened to you before, and now she treats you like a retired librarian. And Giles just immediately turns to the hooch. Yeah, I know. He's just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, pour myself some booze. Like, wait till Spike leaves, at least. (laughs) You don't need to immediately be like, this makes me sad. (laughs) Drink, drink. Meanwhile, Willow and Tara have gotten the cutest kitten in the world. Allison Hannigan is either very sick with a cold or very allergic to this cat. She sounds sick. (laughs) They're trying to settle on the cat's name, which so far is Miss Kitty Fantastico which they pitched in the last episode. I have a feeling that's what'll stick, but who knows. They're also trying to settle on courses for next year and whether or not the cat is just Tara's or both of theirs. Mm. Which also brings up the interesting subject of where they're going to live next year. Both Willow and Tara had kind of assumed that Willow would live with Buffy again, but Willow's realizing her and Buffy haven't exactly been super close lately. Something she's going to have to talk to her about, I guess. But first, Riley needs to talk to Buffy. He shows up at her dorm in Xander's stupid pants. She's like, shouldn't you be hiding with the government chasing after you and all? But he's hacked into a walkie-talkie so he can keep an ear on their whereabouts. Buffy says, you're the sneakiest, and Riley says, that's why they hired me. I feel like there's more about Riley we don't know. When there's not a lot of season left, so I'm interested to see what more there is. Ryan? No. Okay. Buffy's hair still pristine after her nap. Like, That's I mean, why she wasn't going to see Riley. She was just working on her hair the whole time. It's yeah, it's like I get why she'd want to get it cute to go to LA to see Angel. But yeah, then after the nap and it's it's like the next day she's very depressed. <laughs> Did she do her hair and makeup just to be sad and alone in her room? I feel like that's always the case in a lot of the show, and you sort of have to, and most shows I feel sort of do that, where it's like, you just woke up, why is your hair beautiful? Yeah. But like, this episode is like, really bad about it, especially later. (laughs) 
when she goes into that cave. Yeah, it looks especially good this episode. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're just home sad. <laughs> it's fine for like class or whatever. But Riley can tell she's upset. She tells him that Angel upset her. And he wants details, but Buffy doesn't want to give them. And then Riley tries some self-deprecating pants humor and leaves. Don't you feel like she owes him some explanation here? Um, yeah. I mean, she says she'll tell him later. I would be like, are we breaking up? Like, I just would like to know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what she told him before she left. Yeah, I, I get why he would want to know. It's like, she kept this relationship from him. She told him, like, yesterday. And, like, by the way, I had a boyfriend I've kept from you. By the way, he tried to kill a bunch of my friends. Uh, by the way, I'm going to go see him. By the way, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get why he's pissed. Then she, like, tells him it's not a big deal. But she's also got a lot of Adam shit to deal with. It's true. That's part of why she doesn't want to tell him. She just wants to deal with the Adam stuff. Xander and Anya are having a little rendezvous with Spike to bring him some military clothes so he can sneak into the initiative, supposedly. Xander points out he's not a clothing delivery service, and Anya's like, well, kinda. You did Riley yesterday. (laughs) That's really funny. This is all a ruse, though, right? Because Spike isn't actually sneaking into the initiative. Right. I think he just wanted to get Xander alone so he could manipulate him. Mm -hmm. But among the clothes is a gun. I, I don't know why. Did Xander leave it in there? Well, it's not a real gun. It's a fake gun, which he points at Xander, and then his chip starts to hurt. So... We're led to believe he pulled the trigger. No, because Anya says you can't even point a prop gun. Right, because, yeah, Xander tells him it's fake. So I don't even really understand. He can't point a gun? Right, he can't even point a gun. If he could point a gun at someone, I feel like he could kill somebody then. I meant we're led to believe at first that he tried to shoot him for like two seconds. I don't think he actually was able to pull the trigger, though. I think as soon as he pointed the gun at Xander, like it went off before he could have pulled the trigger. Why? Why what? Why would the chip work that way? Because the chip's aware that he's got the intent of killing. Yeah, but not that it's a fake gun. I guess it would have no way of knowing. He doesn't know it's a fake gun, so it assumes it's a real gun. So it just reads his brain, which is thinking, this is gun, I kill man? I think so, yeah. I mean, how else would it work? I don't know. It doesn't really make sense at all that the chip can do that, but it's got to be whatever his intentions are. This seemed like important information delivered in a weird way. Like, I don't even know why Xander put a gun in there. To look like he's a military guy. Yeah. Spike's like, whatever. Enjoy boot camp, Xander. Xander's like, what are you talking about? I'm not joining the army. Spike's like, oh, really? I heard Willow and Buffy joking about you signing up for the army. He's lying. Xander starts freaking out, though, assuming they were probably saying, like, he should join the military because he's got no direction and isn't good at anything. Honestly, though, it kind of makes sense that he would. Yeah. (laughs) He'd have an advantage and he'd be really good at it. Yeah, and, like, why not? I mean, I guess... Like, the initiative in particular, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they just take anybody. They seem to be seeking out special people. But he might be good at it because of his whatever happened to him. Right. Especially the initiative. I know they don't trust the initiative now, but... I mean, he's clocked a bunch of field time. Yeah. Spike's like, chill out. They're probably just joking. And Xander's like, was anybody talking to you? But he was talking to Spike. (laughs) (laughs) Anya's there too, but he's definitely, like, addressing both of them. Yeah. So you, you asked him a question. So Buffy, with her perfect hair, decides it's time to go explore a cave in a designer coat. This scene is just, there's so many times she's fighting in an outfit that's, like, impractical. But it's like, whatever, you know, whatever. It's a show. We're all just suspending disbelief. But there's just something about her walking through the woods. (laughs) She's dressed so nice. So decked out. For this activity. Holding a gun. It's like, you do not look (laughs) like you're dressed for this. I don't have time to discuss my relationship troubles with my boyfriend. I have to get beautiful. ready. (laughs) I've got to get decked out to go see Adam. (laughs) But right before she enters the cave, she runs into Forrest. The person. She doesn't, like, run into Forrest. She's already in the forest where she runs into Forrest. (laughs) She runs real hard into some trees. 
They're not happy to see each other, but turns out they're there for the same reason. So they decide to go into this cave together, still verbally sparring. And turns out Adam's there. Forrest shoots him with the lightning gun, which seems to charge him. Yeah. He's like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's very nice. He's polite. But then bam, bone skewer right through Forrest's tummy. Adam grabs one of the guns and shoots Buffy with it. She's fine from that, I guess? Well, I mean, I don't think it's a kill thing. Okay. And she is the Slayer. I don't think she feels good. Right. She's able to get up and run very fast out of the cave, but eventually slips and, like, hits her head. I think it's funny, like, how quickly this goes poorly. Yeah. (laughs) Within, like, one minute, Adam's just, like, got their weapon shooting a bag at them. Mm -hmm. Do we know why she suspected the cave? They both did. That's, like, the last place she's checked? I don't know. I mean, there's just a cave in the woods. I'd check. Spike is arriving at Giles' house. He takes a second to compose himself outside. More like uncompose himself? Yeah, he's got to pretend he was being chased by the initiative. And he presents some discs, which I assume he just got from Adam. Willow and Tara are there, and Willow gets to work on unencrypting them. Spike's like, okay, I did my shit. Giles, pay me now. And Giles is deep in the sauce now, very checked out, again with the delivering lines and profile while eating or drinking another room bit. Classic season four Giles. He tells Spike he can be paid as soon as Willow figures out what's on the discs. Spike uses this to mess with Giles even more, saying that he already kind of let him pretend that he's in charge of Buffy, and now he's going to wait for Willow's permission to proceed with their deal. And then Spike also observes Tara playing with Willow's hair. So he's like, yeah, I don't know if you can do this, Willow. I I heard your friend saying you weren't into computers as much anymore. More into your new thing. And he plays it off like he means her witch stuff, but he's clearly trying to make her think her friends don't like her relationship with Tara. Right, like he's pretending that he heard Wicca and he thinks it's Wicca, but they were actually talking about her being a lesbian. Yeah, because they're like one in the same sort of like Tara and the Wicca thing kind of go hand in hand. So it's kind of clever that he's like pretending to misunderstand what he heard. Right. But it works. Willow believes it. Because, I mean, Buffy didn't react great when Willow told her. Things aren't going great at the initiative. The demon housing is overcrowded, as they've mentioned. There's two or more to a cell, and they're starting to fight with each other. And the commander's okay with that. But I feel like this is maybe setting up whatever Adam's plan is. Yeah, it seems that way. I, I also don't know what the initiative's plan is. Like, do they? How do they not have enough cells? They yeah, have so much space. What's going on that they yeah built some more cells? In that big empty so room. much fucking space. But like, why is it suddenly overcrowded? But also, in a previous episode, Riley was just gonna like shoot the werewolf. So like, yeah, I just mean, kill some of them. Why are we saving all of them? Yeah, if it's a vampire, especially, just just be. You'll find another one. I, I don't know. Why, and like, are there suddenly more demons in town? Why is it because Maggie Walsh died? Which we're waiting to get a new Maggie Walsh to do the experiments. Like, yeah, all their scientists are dead. What are we doing right now? Then we hear a radio call from some men requesting backup because they've got some men down. Riley hears this on his little radio too, so he goes to check it out. Turns out the demon doing all this damage is Angel. Angel somehow recognizes Riley. I guess he saw Buffy with him the last time he visited in Pangs, but I don't know why he knows his first and last name. He's like, Riley Finn. Well, he probably looked into him because he's obsessed with Buffy. What, on like Facebook that didn't exist yet? I don't know. He might have asked around. Yeah. Riley also puts together that this is Angel and assumes that because he's taken down a bunch of human soldiers that Angel has gone evil again. And he knows that if he's evil, it probably means he's been fooling around with Buffy. Shut up, Riley. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You mentioned to me that you thought it was kind of crazy that Angel was able to take out these three soldiers. Yeah. 
Angel is a good fighter, right? And I would say if three dudes just attacked him, he'd win. But like they've got guns. Three guys who are trained to fight demons and vampires with laser guns, like probably would take out Angel. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Angel now is able to catch arrows from behind him. Oh my god, he's like so super powered now. So I, I don't really know what Angel's limits are exactly. They don't say that Angel killed them, but they are pretty knocked out. So this whole episode, I was like, did he kill them? Because then Riley should be pissed. Yeah. But rewatching it, they never actually say he killed them. So I, I don't think he did. If he did, maybe fuck Angel. Yeah, I mean, it show, he's evil if he just killed these dudes. Because he's like, yeah, they were coming after me. I had to stop them. So I, I think we're supposed to believe he just knocked them out. But to be fair, we don't know if Riley knows they're knocked out or if Riley thinks Angel just killed them. Right. So they fight. It's fun. Like, we want this. But it's also, like, so stupidly dick-swingy. Yeah. It goes on for a bit. Angel throws Riley into a bunch of barrels and stuff, and then he hears a vehicle coming, and he just, like, scales an entire building. Yeah. And escapes. And Riley has to scamper off as well, because he's also being hunted. That's true. Maybe they should have a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Buffy's woken up from her little nap in the woods and goes back to her dorm, and Angel stops by. Has he been watching the show Buffy? He knows where she lives. He knows Riley's name. <laughs> he seems very up to date on everything. She invites him in. And he's soon followed by Riley with a gun, who's all like, I told you, you weren't coming near her. It's so intense. Yeah. Super possessive and unattractive. Yeah. We talked about this a little. Like, Riley's being a lot in this episode, but it does kind of make sense. Like, he just lost his career, and thereby his friends slash frat brothers, whatever that is. His whole life. Yeah. Yeah, and now he's convinced that his girlfriend skipped town to sleep with her ex, who just so happens to be the thing he's been trained to hunt. So, yeah, I get why he's upset, but... He's sleeping in a burnt-out high school right now, wearing pajama pants, like... (laughs) He's got a lot going on. I hate Riley. I ne- I just do not want to defend Riley. I don't. I don't like him. But, like, I kind of get why he's upset. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's, it's still not cute. No. Like, just like, ugh, calm down. But also Buffy's like, I can't talk about it. I need to get ready for mm-hmm. my cave fight. And right. it's sort of like, yeah, I get why he's upset. Also, we should point out that she fell asleep in the woods. Well, she got knocked out essentially, right? But Adam did not kill her. Well, yeah, because she's still here. Right. Uh, but I don't think it would have been difficult for him to walk 10 feet and kill her. That's true. At the beginning of the episode, he alluded to he had a plan for the Slayer. Yeah. Spike's working on it. But Buffy's like, okay, Angel, you just came here to beat up Riley? He's like, no, I just happened to run into him. Riley's being all tough guy, and Angel's like, you actually sleep with this guy? Riley doesn't like that. He, uh, he punches him, and then Angel punches him right back. And then Buffy just, like, shoves them apart across the room. Yeah. It's very funny to me that they're fighting over her because she could kick both of their asses. Yep. <laughs> Which she points out, and they're both kind of like, okay, mom. <laughs> Angel's even like, he started it. But Buffy tells Riley that she needs to talk to Angel alone for a minute. He's like, go ahead, I'm not leaving this room. I get that he thinks that Angel's evil at this point, but like, if she asks for her space, you can't just be like, no. It's also just like, listen, man, like, Let's say Angel is evil. Buffy can take him. Right. You know, like worst case scenario, he tries to hurt her and she ends him, you know? Mm-hmm. And I doubt they're like, hey, can you step out of the room for a minute so we can bang? Like, Right. So Buffy's like, fine, we'll just talk in the hallway. <laughs> and Angel gives Riley this snarky little look on their way out. It's funny. So they step out and Riley's like, nope, I'm not moving a muscle. <laughs> so out in the hallway where Riley and anyone who's home can definitely hear them. <laughs> yeah. Buffy's like, what the hell are you doing here? And Angel says he was trying to make things better. And they have a laugh because he's made things so much worse. 
But he goes on to say that he couldn't leave things like he did and that he came to apologize and that he gets why Riley's upset. Buffy apologizes too. Angel offers to stay and help her with things here. But Buffy tells him the best thing he can do right now is leave, which is probably true. Having him help probably wouldn't be bad, but if him and Riley aren't able to function together and only one of them can stay, Riley's way more versed on the current situation. Right. So Angel leaves again, but not before turning his back and saying, oh, Riley, I don't like him. (laughs) She says, thank you, I think. But Buffy goes back in to talk to Riley, where he did move a muscle. He's like pacing. Liar. That's the first signal. (laughs) He's convinced that Buffy's about to tell him that she cheated on him. And Buffy's like, huh? He goes on to explain he learned about Angel's curse trigger and admits he went a little nuts after that and is shocked to find out that that was the good version of Angel. Goes on a rant about his billowy coat. And Buffy's like, is there a reason you can't trust me? Why so crazy? And he tells her because he's so in love with her, he can't think straight. She's like, yeah, samesies, love you so much. Oh, my God, everything's great. But P.S., your best friend is dead. And Riley, right back to freaking out. He's like, I gotta go. Doesn't say why. That's fair. Buffy didn't tell him shit before. All the Scoobies are at Giles' place. Willow still can't get the damn disc unencrypted. What an idiot. Buffy's getting impatient. Giles should maybe go to a hospital. He might have alcohol poisoning. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Just so drunk. Buffy wants to go back to the cave and look for Adam. They're like, no, that's stupid. He'll kill you. And Giles is like, you never train me anymore. Definitely gonna die. Sorry for being honest. Like, I know what you said, and it was still (laughs) difficult to discern what you said. Xander's like, I'll come. And Buffy's like, no, you'll get hurt. You're too nobody. Xander jokingly offers to get her new fighting pants. (laughs) what he's been doing all episode and he's like whatever fine i'll stay here with alfred and Giles is like no, i'm no alfred you forget alfred had a job <laughs> all this stuff that spike has done all episode he's gotten their heads about is coming to the surface they're all in a big fight anya and tara like slip out of the room yeah i didn't even notice that you mentioned that they yeah. sneak off they go hide in the bathroom it cuts to them eventually giles laughs way too much when xander says fort Dix, and buffy's like are you drunk Yes, but <laughs> was that not obvious? Did you think Giles was just slowly having a stroke? <laughs> Did you not notice, by the way, he's literally pouring more alcohol every time he has a line? <laughs> he just, like, falls down at some point when he tries to sit on a chair. Eventually, he stumbles up to bed. They keep fighting. Buffy, whose mind has not been messed with, is like, what's going on? Why are we fighting? And Willow's like, uh, it's been bad for a while, honey. And face it, you can't handle Tara being my girlfriend. Xander's like, what? <laughs> and Giles from upstairs mumbles, bloody hell. <laughs> Giles' reaction is weird. I was like, is he just reacting to everyone fighting? Or It seemed like it was specifically about Willow. But again, not a very supportive reaction. I, I mean, I do think it was just sort of like so much is happening downstairs. Yeah, And yeah, that's yeah. just like, a, what? and she's gay? Like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cherry on top. Yeah, just like, okay, my whole world's upside down right now. Also, I'm upside down. I've had too much to drink. <laughs> I also think they're being, especially Buffy... I get that she's impatient, but she's being so impatient with Willow. It's like, sorry Willow can't quickly hack this, like, secret government black ops decryption stuff. Do we even know that there's anything on the disc? Like, couldn't it have just been a random disc that Adam sent over with, like, Matrix nonsense on it? Well, I I know we do find out what's on the disc, but at this point we don't know if it's just gibberish. You know, Spike brought it over. Could just be nothing. Could be the Matrix. You gotta wonder, are are these Adam's little titty discs? Oh, they've been in there. You know, his little nipple drive that he used one time? So Buffy finally snaps at them and is like, how can you guys possibly help me right now? 
go ahead, say say what you can do to actually help me right now. And they've got nothing. And then she says, I'm beginning to understand why there's no ancient prophecy about the Chosen One and her friends. Oof. Oof. And if I need help, I'll go to someone I can count on. She storms out. We think she maybe means Riley? Spike has returned to Adam's cave. He seems to be stationed somewhere different every time we see him. He had a library. I think he was in a crypt. Now he's in a cave? Dude's mobile. Spike's celebrating his role in the yokoing. He's like, so can we like get that chip out now? And Adam's like, no, I need one more thing. And then at the very end of the episode, someone walks in and Adam says, I've been waiting for you. And then Riley. What? Is the someone. And he says, and now I'm here. To be continued. What the hell? You know. Why is Riley there? Well, because him and Adam have the same mommy. (laughs) That's her birthday. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to eat a cake. I don't think Forrest is dead because I've seen the next thumbnail. I think that all of these military dudes, maybe not all, but some of them probably have some kind of similar situation as Adam where they're not... Written very well? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, like... I mean, obviously, the offer of Adam is that he's some kind of super soldier. Right. So it seems like whatever drugs they were giving them probably, you know, were related somehow. Well, I guess we'll see. I don't really know where that begins and ends as far as the truth about Riley. But I will say that I don't know that Riley and all the other troops are uh, the same. I think the show has indicated that enough for me to say. Yeah, they keep telling Riley that he's special. And they were, in the beginning of this episode, they're like, we need him. He's expensive. I don't know how much Riley knows about himself, but he seems to be going to Adam with some knowledge that Adam won't just kill him. And I don't know when he would have learned that, because he seemed to know nothing about Adam previously. Yeah. Well, Brian, was this a good one? Yeah, I think it was a good one. It was fun because we got to see Spike being evil in creative ways. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. We also got to play around with the group dynamic a lot, especially their, like, insecurities in a fun way. Giles being drunk was very fun. Uh, We also got some big plot things, not just with Adam, but just like Willow coming out to the whole group. Yeah. She'll have to come out to Giles again. He won't remember. (laughs) Yeah. An angel. An angel. I I almost didn't need Angel in this episode. He shows up super late. He's not there that long. He's essentially like, I came here to say sorry, so I punched your boyfriend and then leaves. Yeah. I mean, he admits he could have called. I really felt like the crossover was more a publicity thing than anything else. I mean, for the show, it was like, and then Angel, you love Angel. He's back. They were both in the other episode for like five minutes. Like, Buffy also showed up with like 10 minutes left in the episode. Yeah. But I do think having him and Riley fight is like something we want to see. Yeah. I didn't need to see it, but I, I don't know. Other people probably really enjoyed it. And having Angel just like hate Riley so much is like cathartic. Yeah. I'm like, I'm with you there, Angel. When you turned and you said, I don't like Riley, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm on Angel's team now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it was a good episode. I don't know that it was perfect, but it was good. I, I liked it. And I liked that we're finally getting to the Adam stuff, um, even though his plan is dumb. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I liked the Riley and Angel stuff, even though it felt very, like, macho man. I'm the better boyfriend. It's two men fighting over a woman. I mean, we've seen that a million times. But they're both really good fighters. Yeah. And she's better than them. Yeah. So that was interesting. And so they're fighting under her. <laughs> yeah. And I liked Spike's manipulation. That was cool to yeah. see him fight in a way that wasn't physical. Right. At first I was like, is he just like doing this for his own motivation somehow? Like, is he somehow using Adam to like sneak into the initiative? 
to like help the Scoobies on his own, but I, I think that was disproven. I think he was just doing what Adam wanted. But upon his first conversation with Giles, I thought maybe it was going that way. Yeah. Like Spike saying he's working for Adam, but it's really his own agenda. Right. Yeah, it was pretty funny. The initiative stuff is always pretty stupid. I'm like, what is happening here? Who's in charge? Yeah, we, we've talked about it. The initiative is just the weakest part of the season, honestly. But it wasn't bad. No, but I do think it was a good episode. I mean, I feel like it's safe to say that even this season, which I have always thought was the weakest season, although honestly, season one has so many problems, but you got to give it a pass because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing yet. I think this is probably the weakest season. I still think it's good. It's still enjoyable. The season as a whole? Yeah. Yeah, I, there's a couple of bad episodes. But For sure. I'll think about it more once we have all the pieces. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, not enjoying it. Yeah. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 4, Episode 20, Long Live the Queen. The new source and his queen have to prove that they are truly evil by killing Piper and Paige in order to prevent a civil war breaking out in the underworld. This has been... <laughs> I was going to make that joke, too. So Phoebe and Cole are now the new source and queen. Yes. Piper and Paige had to try to stop this from happening, but then they got there and realized it was Phoebe and Cole. Right. And they're not actually evil. And they could tell they weren't evil, but, like, the evil people were like, also, like, are they evil, though? I feel like maybe they're not evil. So it's this whole thing where, wink, wink, Cole and Phoebe aren't actually evil, but they have to, like, pretend to be evil. And Piper and Paige are, like, pretty sure they're not evil, but they're like, wait, are you going to kill us? Are you evil? And then Phoebe's like, yeah, I'm going to kill you guys so hard right now. But first. <laughs> so all the, the demons that are in attendance see Piper and Paige peeping in through the window. And they're like, whoa, those are her sisters. We should have her sacrifice them to, to prove, prove. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. she's totally evil. Because she used to be not evil. We're not sure if she's evil now, but this will prove it if she kills them. So they, they tie them up. They, like, hang them over a flaming cauldron, you know. A flaming cauldron? Yep. It's a cauldron of fire. That's okay. a thing, right? Sure. It seems symbolic. Usually they have liquids in them, but you could put a fire in one. It's a liquid that's burning. Oh, okay. And they hang them over it in, like, a rotisserie situation. Oh, wow. This is dark as shit. Mm -hmm. And they're all chanting, like, kill them, kill them. Or we'll have a civil war. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so they're on a rotisserie thing? They're like tied to it. It's not yeah, like it's not them. spinning. They're okay. like dangling from Got it. Got it. You've seen this. Yeah, yeah. And then someone shoots an arrow that cuts the rope. And then, wait, what happens? Uh, we don't know. Okay. What, what does civil war look like? Like just in general? What are the sides of the civil war in the underworld? Well, there are some demons that are like, no, these guys are awesome. They're super evil, mm -hmm. super on board. Some of the demons are like, I don't think they're evil. And if you keep defending them when I find out they're good, I'm killing all y'all. Because Cole's got this whole reputation. He's, you know, formerly evil. And some people really like him and want him to be the leader. And a lot of the demons are into identity politics and some of them aren't. So there's just like a lot of frustration. Yes. And then it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it ends. So this has been... <laughs> So before they can kill him, though, Phoebe's like, well, you know what? We can't kill them without killing my other sister. Yeah, because you can't kill two sisters without killing the third because the the power of three, <laughs> right? I mean, they did already once, but... Uh, <laughs> they don't know that. They're right. dumb They're demons. They're dumb demons, dude. So she's like, all right, let's go. She's in a painting somewhere. Which is true. But she's in a painting somewhere. They think she's dead, but we know that she's in paintings. Yeah, Phoebe's kind of just saying that she has no idea how right she is. Right. Her. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, Phoebe. But as she goes out, 
she throws a pocket knife up to, with her, like, witchy levitation powers, like, sends them a pocket knife, and they use it to get out. Yeah, they, they cut themselves off the rope, and they fall in a way, avoiding the fiery cauldron. Mm-hmm. They fall into a nearby ice cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> it was to put out the fiery cauldron eventually. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some demons like cold, some like hot. That's why they're both there. <laughs> and then they all just run out of there. Yeah. Now the underworld knows that... Phoebe and Cole were fucking with them. Yeah, they come back, and they've got, like, a rando painting that doesn't have Prue in it, and they're like, you let him free? And they're like, yep. They run out, slam the door, and then she uses her witchy powers to knock over the fiery cauldron that burns the whole place down. Wow. Which kills some of the demons. Some of the demons are cool with it. Some love fire. Like, yeah, this is cool. That's what the cauldron was for. Yeah, so we're then gonna... she tips over the ice cauldron, and then those demons die. <laughs> Some of the demons were going to bathe in there later. Yeah. She kills the cold-loving ones first, then the fire ones. She's very smart. But the truth is, there were other demons that weren't at this gathering. This isn't every demon in the world. So they're going to hear about this, and this might be a problem going forward. We'll see. That Cole and Phoebe kind of bailed on being the king and queen of evil. Yeah. The new source. And there's going to have to be another new source, I assume. We can't have a sourceless underworld. We'll have to see what happens when we watch this show. Yeah. We will. I will never watch this show. (laughs) This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Okay, Brian. Back to reality. Let's talk about Gilmore Girls. Okay. Tell us about Luke can see her face. This episode is about Luke having some romantic revelations. Mm. Also about Lorelai stressing out about the inn, about Paris having some romantic revelations, Mm. and also Jess having some obligatory revelations. Yeah. It's a lot of revelations. Yeah. The episode has a pretty good opener. I like this opener a lot. It opens with Laura like grabbing a newspaper from her porch and she sees a cat just like sitting there staring at her. So she just like calls Rory to tell her that the cats know that she just broke up with Jason and they're ready for her to become a full-time cat lady. <laughs> Both episodes start with cats. Yeah, the Buffy one has a cat pretty early on too. So Lorelai's just like freaking out that this is like a sign that she's never going to have a successful relationship and the cat knows. And when suddenly like a second cat just appears next to the first one. (laughs) The second one's so cute. They're both super cute. She like steps outside to yell at the cat. She's like, I'm a young, desirable woman. (laughs) But they are super cute. She like tries to shoo them away. Yeah. The most unbelievable part for me is that I don't believe Lorelai reads the newspaper. (laughs) I don't know why she gets it. Later that night, Lorelai's in bed, and she's having trouble sleeping. She keeps waking up and calling the inn to leave reminder voicemail messages for herself. Messages like, Sylvie, Horsefeed, Jackson, Gardenstone, Suki, too much salt in the gazpacho. Hang up and then call again with another list of three things. She's having trouble sleeping because she's so stressed out about the inn, so she just goes over to Luke's for some 5 a.m. coffee. Because she drank all the coffee at her house. She tells him that she's, you know, can't sleep because she keeps thinking of in stuff. Even while she's talking to Luke, she's thinking about the water pressure problems in room 10, 12, and 15. Since she's just like such a sleepy mess, Luke's like, I'll make you some coffee even though he's not open. She's stressed and worried about the in opening and she's like doubting herself, dealing with like, I think, imposter syndrome. You know, she doesn't feel like she can do what she's set up to do. Right. But Luke just keeps telling her that she's going to do great. And he said, I've told you this before. I'm telling you now. You can handle this. You're going to do great. She says she wants to give him a special investor tour of the inn. There's a moment where she's like, oh, I'm going to go into financial ruin. I'm like, well, maybe don't tell that to the guy who's like financially invested in your business. Yeah, but he makes a joke about it, too. Yeah. He agrees to go to the inn, even though I don't think he wants to, if she eats some oatmeal because she's surviving on garbage food and coffee. So she's like, fine, I'll eat it, but I'll hate it. Then Kirk shows up. (laughs) 
He apparently always gets there super early to sit at his special table, the one that Lorelai is currently at. Lorelai moves tables, like, with, really without any argument. But then he's like, huh, this table's got really nice light. <laughs> when she finally goes to the end, Michelle is on the floor transcribing voicemails. And he's just, like, super pissed that he's got to transcribe her gibberish messages to herself. He's also upset that he's got to do it on the floor and that he doesn't have a desk. He wants a desk and a chair and a bed? Does Michelle live at the inn? Uh, no. Then why does he want a bed? Maybe just because he's tired. They're all doing stuff. He's like, I want a bed. When am I getting my bed? I'm like, why are you getting a bed, Michelle? Do you sleep during your work hours? I don't know. It was a weird line. There was a desk in the last episode, though. When Michelle was giving the tour of the inn, Lorelai was standing behind a front desk. Yeah. Where'd it go? Did Dean move it? Dean probably moved it, took it to Yale. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see Rory. Bring some furniture. Do you need this? I brought a sink. Do you need this? Dean, you can't come here every day. I I love you. I mean, Lindsay. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I guess Michelle lives at the end. I don't know what's going on. Luke stops in for his tour and immediately starts asking Tom about his beautiful staircase banister. And Tom is all like, are you going to kibitz? Apparently, this is the thing, when people who know a little bit about construction often come in to people like him, contractors, and start giving all kinds of, like, unsolicited advice about things they don't actually know that much about, and uh, Tom's not here for that. No. It's sort of like the Dunning-Kruger effect, I guess, in a way. I don't know what that is. The Dunning-Kruger effect is where you think you're really smart about stuff simply because you don't know enough to know that you don't know a lot of stuff about something. Opposite of imposter syndrome? Yeah, kind of. Luke is like, I wasn't going to kibitz, but he totally was. Like, 100% was going to kibitz. Then we cut to the kitchen where Suki is introducing Lorelai to Shell Saucman, their new poultry supplier. She's clearly trying to set the two of them up. What are you doing, Suki? This guy is not the right guy. Yeah, Shell. Shell, Shell looks like an incel, right? I mean, this dude has got the creepiest youth pastor smile I've ever seen. Wow, I didn't know incels went hand-in-hand with youth pastors. Well, the smile is the problem. (laughs) He was divorced. So? He's gotten a woman. Who he could not keep. Sure. He smiles kind of like the gentleman from the episode Hush from Buffy. For sure this guy's a premature ejaculator. You could just tell. You could just tell looking at this dude. Wow, Brian really read this guy. Oh, yeah. This guy is far too excited to meet Lorelai. Like you said, he's going through a divorce, and Lorelai makes a joke about that and how it's definitely not related to the fact that he's got, like, hormone-free chicken. And then this pathetic poultry man says, you're funny. You know, they say that pretty women usually aren't funny because they never had to be. Were you a fat child? (laughs) Oof, this guy's gotta go. Yeah. This guy's uh, clearly not great with women. Maybe he's great with, you know, chicken. He's great with chicken. Yeah. Suki tries to excuse herself so these two can flirt, I guess, but Lorelai's, like, trying to find any excuse to leave. But Suki exits. Lorelai, like, desperately grabs Luke, who, at this moment, is inspecting the kitchen plumbing, probably desperately wishing he could kibitz about it, but he can't. That was very funny, because he walks into the kitchen and asks Suki if it's the original tile, and she's like, I don't know, ask Tom, and he's like, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be accused of kibitzing. Well, she grabs Luke and then starts pretending that he's her special friend to ward off Shell. This works, even though I'm sure Shell seems like the kind of guy who's definitely into being cuckold. I just feel like he mm. is. But Lorelai puts, like, Luke's hand on her stomach and, like, sort of, like, cuddles into him. And is like, oh, yeah, he's my special guy who's helped me through this whole opening. Luke plays along very begrudgingly. He seems very uncomfortable with all of this. Shell gives, like, a disappointed, surprised look. Probably the same look he gave his wife the first and last time he saw her naked. Is it clear how Brian feels about Shell? <laughs> I don't like Shell. Well, Shell's a big part of season five, so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's another person who dates Paris. 
As soon as crestfallen Shell leaves, probably to cry while he masturbates. Is this why it took you so long to do notes for this episode? <laughs> You're just roasting Shell for an hour? I hate Shell. But as soon as he's gone, Lorelai like scolds Luke for like touching her stomach. He's like, you put my hand there. <laughs> Lorelai mentions to Luke that she can't believe Suki was trying to set her up with someone since she just got out of a relationship, which, you know, she hadn't told Luke about yet. He could tell, though. Yeah, he could tell. And it's funny because she's like, well, how could you tell? And he's like, well, you never really dressed weather appropriate. <laughs> she's like, well, I can bundle up now. Yeah. So Lorelai talks a bit about her, like, failed relationships and about how they make her sad sometimes. And she asks Luke if his failed relationship slash marriage makes him sad. He says, I don't know, maybe. Then she says, I see Dr. Phil books in our future. And then he says, unless they stock him at Home Depot, they're not likely to cross my path. Lorelai's still stressed. Luke once again tells her, like, no, I have faith in you. You're going to do this. You're a boss. And it's kind of like a nice moment between them. Why I thought this was interesting is for the next scene. She specifically asks Luke, do you feel sad about this sometime? And he says, like, "Uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like he does. But then she says, like, we need these Dr. Phil, like, self-help books. And he's like, nah, not for me. Is it Dr. Phil self-help or is it, like, therapy because they're going to be fucked up later? Well, yeah, I guess therapy. That's true. In my head, I I thought he wrote, like, books you'd read to make yourself better. Yeah, just quick Google. It looks like they're maybe... I mean, some are about, like, weight loss, but they are, like, general how-to-make-your-life-better books. So, yeah, that must be the impetus for what happens. Yeah, so it seemed like it didn't have any effect on Luke. But the next time we see him, he's, like, going into a bookstore and being, like, weird as hell. Luke grabs some books off a shelf and, like, puts them under his arm and then, like, refuses to let Andrew, the bookstore owner, like, scan them because then he'll see what the title is. He's being so weird. He's just like, I'll tell you how much it is. You don't have to scan it. And Andrew's like, well, just let me see it. What do you got there? Porn? Looks like, do you sell porn? He's like, no. And he's like, so you thought I brought my own porn in to buy? (laughs) The book is, like, $15, but Luke just, like, leaves him a $100 bill and leaves. Yeah. He comes back to be like, I need a bag. It's unclear. So he gets a book on tape, but there's there's got like three things. I don't well, know. One of them is a workbook for okay. the book on tape. I see. But it seems like there's other books that he has. Yeah. They might just be different workbooks. I don't know. So these books that Luke like can't show anybody are actually self-help like love books. It's like books of like how to fulfill your love fantasies. Yeah. It's not as sexual, but it does not seem sexual. Like as soon as he plays it, it sounds like new age, wishy-washy, candy-coated Tony Robbins bullshit. It's so funny when it starts. It's just yeah. super loud. Like, yeah. love! <laughs> yeah. And Luke's so over it, like, immediately. Yeah, Luke, listening to it, clearly hates it. He rolls his eyes, like, with his whole body and looks about as comfortable as someone getting a colonoscopy. But he does keep listening. It's funny because Spike mentioned Tony Robbins. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that. There's a moment where the tape tells him to say out loud, if I crave love, then I deserve love. And Luke, like, just doesn't do it. He, like, sighs instead of doing it. And then the tape, like, kind of calls him out on it. (laughs) It's like some of you might be incapable of saying it at all, Luke. Yeah, and Luke's like, I'm not incapable of saying it. He specifically says that he's not incapable of it. He just hasn't been hit by the Oprah stick lately, which is like, do you get hit by the Oprah stick sometimes? Just hasn't happened lately? It's one of his fantasies. (laughs) And he deserves it. I do think that this acknowledgement by the tape about how some people are incapable of doing it is what convinces him to keep listening, though. Mm. Because I feel like he was like, well, okay, yeah. He likes to challenge. Well, because it was like the tape was right about this, though. Luke very reluctantly pulls out his, like, love workbook to follow along and says it doesn't get any lower than this. It's so funny that even in the privacy of his own home, he can't, like, let go of whatever's up his ass and just, like, do this thing he wants to do. I will say that this change 
in Luke. This willingness to debase himself to himself, because he's so, he says this is the lowest of the low for him. I feel like it needed more of an impetus than Lorelai being like, are you sad sometimes? Yeah. I really do feel like this needed a scene of like Nicole picking up her stuff and saying something to him. I mean, there was the episode where he got cheated on and realized it was over. And that was maybe like two episodes ago. Maybe if that was like the previous episode, it would have been better. Sure. Or a phone call from Nicole. Or she sees something of Nicole's or something of Nicole's and Rachel's. That would have been like double like, oh, this is maybe a me thing. Yeah, yeah. It did feel very much like this episode was like, well, we're both single now. We're both sad. Let's get together. (laughs) Yeah. It felt like a a brand new chapter with just like a clean break from the previous couple episodes. Yeah. And it wasn't like seamlessly weaved in that we were going this direction. Lorelai's also like not really upset about breaking up with Jason. She seems like, well, whatever. She's upset that she's maybe going to be alone, but doesn't seem to really care that she's not with Jason anymore. Right. At the same time... Luke and Lorelai have been will there, won't they, forever. Just not, like, in the last season, yeah. especially. And that's not true. There was, like, that moment where Luke was drunk in her living yes. room and, like, wanted to touch her. And when she, like, collapses in his arms on that bench. I guess I, my point was just that, like, neither of them have really shown that much sadness for their relationships breaking up. Right. Lorelai's sadness, quote-unquote, was just her fear of being single. She's not actually, like, pining after Jason being gone. And Luke's reaction to being sad was like, yeah, maybe. Like, he doesn't, like, have a moment of reflection. In fact, that scene ends with him being happy because he made a joke about the poultry guy, who we all love doing. Fuck that guy. (laughs) One last thing. When he gets into his apartment, he, like, makes sure the coast is clear. Like, no one's going to (laughs) hear. Like, no one else lives up there. No, you're wrong on that. I'm sorry. Every time. Like, how many times has someone just ended up in his apartment without his permission? Then lock the door. Liz... (laughs) But, like, what do you... Yes, Lorelai. And they all show up in this episode. But, but like, <laughs> yeah. lock the door. Like, you looking up at the door isn't going to stop. No, he's got Giles syndrome. <laughs> he can't lock the door. Okay. Spike has been in Luke's apartment. They've all been there. Meanwhile, at Yale, Rory is in Asher's class. It's just finishing up. Asher is engaging the class in a discussion about propaganda, which kind of reminded me of being in college. And I remember, like, arguing with students, and that was fun. Anyway, I missed that a little bit. You can go back. No, it would be weird if I'm an older person being like, let me tell you the truth about the world. You're not 60. I am very old. Paris wouldn't even date me. Because I wouldn't let her. (laughs) I'd fight her. You might lose to Paris. I would lose to Paris. I I think I love you, but she is... uh, She's a strong-willed woman. Yes. And wise. And wonderful. (laughs) And anonymous. Well, anyway, she's in this class when Paris just, like, shows up outside the door waiting for the bell to ring. Rory is annoyed that Paris is continuously using her as her beard, meaning her, like, cover story for being at the class. Because, obviously, her relationship with the teacher is sort of, like, taboo. So she has to have a reason to be there to, like, run into Asher. Things seem to be getting more serious between her and Asher. Paris says he's even invited her to come to Oxford with him. You said he wouldn't. Yep, you're right. I theorized that he was not going to invite her, that the relationship was souring, and I was wrong. I thought he was going to break up with her so he could have another fling next year, but it seems I was wrong. I've never predicted anything incorrectly. Really? I probably have. Paris seems to think that this trip to Oxford will be so public that they'll be able to come out about their relationship. Will they? Won't they? We'll find out later. We'll find out later. At the inn, Lorelai is there with Suki, thanking Dean for working late again. He is there once again, doing odd jobs for them. He's like hanging a painting. I feel like this is something, they, they're just like standing there watching him hang a painting. I do think some people hire people to hang pictures. Yeah? Yeah. 
I, do they have the money to hire someone to hang pictures? Well, he's maybe doing other stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Anyway, Dean heads into a back room to fix a wire on one of these paintings, and Suki tells Lorelai that she would like to have a backup plan for soup in case she can't serve her famous zucchini soup. Jackson has told her that he's got some concerns about the zucchinis because of some forecasted weather, but Lorelai's like, no, we have to use their zucchini soup. That's what everyone's expecting. It's, like, famous. It sounds awful to me. Does zucchini have flavor? I, I, I feel like it doesn't. That's a good point. I, I would try it. It's like, is that the main ingredient of the soup? Because put some of that gazpacho salt in there, please. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, they start to overhear Dean fighting with Lindsay. Mm. She's upset that Dean is working tonight instead of going out with her and their friends. She's like, we never do anything, Dean. You're incredibly selfish. You never even think of me. Never. He's like, we need the money. You want a townhouse and a new car? We need money for these things. Then this lazy asshole says... <laughs> I sit at home all day waiting for you, and you never call me. Okay, we need to wait, just... Wait, wait, wait. She also adds that she's bored. Oh, my God. Okay, we need to talk about this. Okay. It was unclear from the last episode, because Rory was like, what does she do all day? Why doesn't she get a job? We didn't know that she didn't have a job, but I feel like this kind of confirms that she might not. Yeah, this scene is telling me that Lindsay actually sits at home all day doing nothing while Dean works two fucking jobs. It's possible she goes to school full time, but she isn't saying that either. No, she says she sits at home all day. Yeah. Bored. She's not like, I'm sitting at home all day doing my homework. Right. I don't think she's in school. She's literally sitting at home doing nothing. I think they would tell us she had a job or a school if she did. Now, now I'm upset. (laughs) Okay. Let me just say that there's nothing wrong with a couple deciding that they want to split up their chores and roles, and if someone wants to stay home and do all the cleaning and cooking and shopping while the other partner does the working, and they both decided that's what they want to do, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with both partners agreeing to that. That is especially true if there's a child. Raising a child, full-time job, 100%. I have no problem with that. However, if they desperately need money and Lindsay can't cook for shit, which we know she can't, then it's a real, real, real selfish, shitty thing to do to sit at home while your husband works two jobs for shit you want. And then yell at him for not hanging out with you enough. Yeah, and then he's also in trouble for not entertaining you with his phone calls? Fuck you, lady. Yeah. Dean, just leave her for Rory. I'm fine with it. Okay, Dean, you got Brian's blessing. No, you're definitely not right for Rory, but... uh, (sighs) Okay, Dean, I don't know what Brian wants. (laughs) Yeah, she has the audacity to say, I'm bored, Dean. I just, I hope she gets a divorce, remarries Tristan, and they get eaten by snakes. That's what I hope happens. <laughs> God. They'd be a good couple. Yeah, and then they die together. I hate them both now. I was like, you know, you know Lindsay's this innocent bystander who's getting hurt. And then this conversation happened. I was like, nah, 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 nah. She says she's going out with her friends without Dean, and she'll be back when she gets back. And then she storms out without whatever, Dean. Now, to be 100% fair, and I don't want to be because I hate Lindsay now. She said that Dean said that he would go out and then, like, changed his mind when he saw there was available work hours. Yeah. That's That's shitty. maybe not cool. Sure. Agreed that that's not ideal. And it's also true that Dean might not be picking up all these extra hours just to help his wife out. He might have the ulterior motive of hoping he runs into Rory. Yes. He is definitely emotionally cheating on, on her. For sure. But Lindsay doesn't bring that up. She doesn't say, like, you're here to hook up with Rory. So... I still have to say that she's really the wrong one here, for sure. Thoughts? Yes. Meeting adjourned. Okay. No, I, I agree. This, I think, confirmed that. It, it is complicated, because Dean is not being truthful with her. But for this specific fight, Dean wins. Yeah. 
The next day, Luke is driving through town, still listening to the tape and still hating it. When his sister Liz comes up and knocks on his window, he's like, hold on. And then like embarrassingly quickly shuts off the audio tape before opening the door. (laughs) Liz and TJ are in town because they're getting married here in the town square next week. That's fun. Luke is surprised by the sudden marriage, but he is not unhappy about that. Yeah, he's very happy. Yeah, they're rushing to have the wedding because they want to make sure all their Renaissance Fair friends can come. And they want to get this done before the Renaissance Fair circuit starts, I guess. TJ invites Luke to the bachelor party and says he wants Luke to be the best man. And Luke's like, really? And TJ's like, no, there's like 800 people before you on that list. But you can come to the bachelor party. I like their relationship now. Mm-hmm. Like he and TJ got off on the wrong foot. But I feel like they do respect each other as far as like, I know that you're important to Liz. So I'm going to not have a problem with you. He even makes a joke like keeping up appearances that we like each other. Yeah, yeah. Luke is actually really happy for Liz. And it's nice to see him get along with his sister. I, I actually really like the development this season of he hates his sister or not necessarily hates his sister, but like is sort of over his sister. But like now he's like, no, I want to see my sister happy. And I think this time it's going to happen. Yeah, he, he like really believes TJ's going to work out, I think. And it's actually kind of nice to see the side of Luke because he seems like happy and supportive. Usually he's just like angry guy. Everything's going to go wrong. But he's like very supportive of his sister here. Mm-hmm. He does ask about Jess. He's like, how did Jess take the news? And she's like, well, Jess isn't coming to the wedding. Which she pretends is no big deal, but Luke thinks it's a big deal. Yeah, so much of a big deal that he goes ahead and heads over to Jess's dump of an apartment. Which is in New York? Do we know he moved to New York? Do we know it's in New York? I can only assume it is because of the sirens. Yeah, later Luke says he went to go see Jess in New York. Oh, he came. It's, it felt like New York. The whole place just looks super shady and dirty. Uh, well, we- I mean, it's a giant room with mattresses on the floor. <laughs> there's, there's no furniture, but like six dudes live. I've never been to a place like this in New York, but I bet people live that way. Yeah, for sure. That place we almost moved into with the circus people, this sounds like a joke, and it is not. Might have been like that. We had our own room. We did. I think everyone had their own room. I don't know. We almost moved into a place where we were going to have our own room and bathroom, and it was like actually pretty big room and bathroom. And we were like, we can just essentially live in this room. Yeah. Uh, Shared kitchen. Yeah, shared the kitchen. But there was going to be like six other like quote-unquote circus people who live there. Yeah, circus people. I don't know what that meant. And the woman was not super clear with us. And there was also like a uh, communal vape charging station. It was- I do not remember that. I do. We almost lived there. Like we were going to do it, but they just didn't get back to us or like gave it to someone else. Our setup was really- nice yeah that was a big room but yeah they didn't get back to us or maybe some like tigers took over our room i don't know what happened yeah but i was I, I was worried about the circus people aspect of it yes anyway jess lives with who knows what type of people we just know todd and he's got to get up because it's four <laughs> jess is working as a messenger yeah when jess answers the door lucas all like hey the neighbors just ran out of crack to sell so they sent me over to buy a cup <laughs> luke just starts roasting jess immediately <laughs> He walks in. He's just like, oh, did you put those holes in the ceiling yourself? or Which <laughs> filthy mattress is yours? Oh, this one with a view of the mold? Yeah, yeah. It's really just, he's like, I was afraid you were screwing up your life. Glad I was wrong. <laughs> I don't think we knew he moved to New York, though. He came to get his car and then left, but we didn't know where he went. In my head, I assumed he did because that's where he wanted to live and he hated the small town. But he was going to try to live with Jimmy. That's true. You're right. And in the Jess Mez, our Patreon version of what happened in California, he still lives with Jimmy. We don't know that he doesn't have an apartment in New York. I guess we'll... (laughs) 
find out in the next episode. It's, it's a bit of a mess, the Jess mess. Yeah. Luke is upset that Jess isn't coming to the wedding, but Jess is all like, well, I'll just catch the next one because Liz does have a, a history of going through men pretty quickly. But Luke defends TJ, which, again, is kind of cool. He's like, listen, I don't love TJ, but I do think that TJ loves Liz and they're good together and we should support this relationship. Luke finally goes off on Jess and is like, listen, if you're ever going to grow up and stop being such like a self-destructive, selfish jerk, then one day you're going to regret not going to this thing. You're going to feel shitty about it forever. He admits that Liz has screwed up a bunch of times, but this might be a turning point for her. And Jess is going to feel like an asshole if he doesn't try to be a part of it and support it. This is what Laurel I said to Rory about going to Christopher's wedding. I didn't even clock that, but you're right. Which I don't know that has happened. Oh, yeah. Didn't it happen? I don't know. We kind of lost track of Christopher. They had a baby. They had a baby. I don't think they were married. Though. Is Christopher going to show up in the last episode, too? And there's going to be, like, so many suitors for Lo- Probably. God damn. It is show. called So Many Suitors. Is it? No. <laughs> no. Jess gets a message on his pager that he's got to deliver a package. And Luke finally says, you owe me. I was there for you when no one else was. This is important to me. I want you there. You owe me. And then Jess is like, whatever, and leaves. And so does Luke, obviously. He doesn't want to breathe in all that asbestos or whatever's going on in that apartment. And you sort of assume that Jess maybe isn't going to go, but this has an effect on him. Because the next time we see Luke, it's at his diner, and Jess just, like, comes in angrily, and he's all like, I'm not paying for a place to stay, so I'm staying with you. And then Luke is, like, shocked, but also, like, clearly happy. Yeah, he just keeps staring at the upstairs, like, Well, that was cool. So Luke is excited that Jess is going to go to the wedding. When he goes upstairs to his apartment, Jess tries to play Luke's boombox just to see what he's listening to lately. And Luke is like, no, 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 and grabs it like super defensive. Jess is like, whatever, and he leaves to go get some food. Then Luke starts listening again, still half mocking the tape. The tape is just such saccharine, sweet bullshit. He starts a story where the guy says like, I had a friend, let's call him Philip, who couldn't make up his mind amongst three different women that he liked. Luke is still making fun of this tape. But then the narrator asks, quote unquote, Philip, whose phone calls are never unwanted? Do you see your face? Who would you like to have in your life to ward off moments of loneliness? Do you see your face? When you're in pain, who would you most like to comfort you? Do you see your face? Luke is sort of just like doing dishes and like kind of pondering. And then finally Luke looks very thoughtful and is like, whoa. (laughs) So he either figured out that he's in the Matrix or uh, he saw Lorelai's face. Right? It's, I mean, obviously it's Lorelai's face. Well, he's not someone's face. How does he not know he loves Lorelai? We all know he loves Lorelai. I know, this situation was a little silly because he's not deciding between three women. It, it seemed like he maybe got these books to get Lorelai. Right. But yeah, you're right. This would have maybe been better with some clarification of why he got the books. Because now I think we're led to believe that he got them just because he wants to find love. And he had no intention of doing this to get Lorelai. Right. But now it becomes about getting Lorelai. Because, mm-hmm. like, the way the, that first scene played where... She put her hands on him, and he's like, well, what? This is gross. I think that would have read differently if he was into her or, like, knew he was into her. I don't know. I feel like he would have done that just to, like, be like, I'm not into you. Yeah. But, like, there's there's just been, like, multiple, like, moments where it seems clear that he's into her. She even, like, has a talk to him about being just friends in, like, season two. Right, but like I said, they haven't really touched on that too much in the last season. Here and there. Like I said, when he was drunk, he clearly wanted her. Yeah. So... It's just weird that he didn't know this was about Lorelai until this moment. Absolutely. We haven't gotten to this part of the episode yet, but I will say him saying whoa is accompanied by a little ding sound effect, which is actually the ding of an elevator in the following scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before we get to that scene, I do have to say, unfortunately, Friday night dinner was canceled this week. We don't get a nice family fight scene. I really was hoping for one, but we don't get one. 
So instead of Friday night dinner, Rory goes over to her mom's place and they talk about how Emily had a real weak ass excuse for not having Friday night dinner. She said that she had some sort of function, but didn't even name the function. But Lorelai and Rory know that it's because her parents are fighting and Emily is like staying at a hotel right now. So the two girls are going to stay at home and have a movie night with tons and tons and tons of takeout. Seriously, they have a whole pizza, four sloppy joes, several containers of Chinese food, at least two bags of licorice, a huge bowl of chips, and honestly like three or four or five other plates that I could not identify what the foods were. And carrots. Yeah, I, I were those carrots? Yeah, Rory's like, why are there carrots? Okay, yeah, right, you're right. And carrots. Rory suggests that, that maybe they should talk to them. And she's like, well, actually, you. I'm a child. <laughs> yeah. The way she delivered that line was so funny. Yeah. I, I can't. I'm a child. Lorelai goes on to just mention some gossip about Dean. She tells her about the fight at the end. She's like, well, I don't know. It just seems like it ended with a whatever, Dean. Seems like it was a big deal. She doesn't include the part where Lindsay doesn't have a job. Yeah, I know. I'd be like, you were right about her being a loser. But they're both like, yeah, I hope, you know, it gets better between them. Then they watched the movie Fatso. Do you know that movie? I don't. Me neither. I think it was a popular comedy movie. I I don't know. I've never seen it. Does it just start with people yelling fat at someone? Because that's how it seemed. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Rory's super into it. Yeah. It's funny because Lorelai's like, I kept all these movies that I started and then I thought you would like them, so I stopped watching them. So I've watched like 10 minutes of a dozen movies that I've saved. I 100% feel that with you. Like. I'll start to watch a show or something and be like, ah, I'm enjoying this too much. I gotta wait for Stacy. She's gonna wanna see it. Oh. It's almost annoying. It's like, there's a show I wanna watch. I can't. Sorry. I gotta wait for Stace. You love me. I do love you. I didn't know it, but I listened to this tape and it told me that I did. You saw my face? Yeah. And then I couldn't stop seeing it. I still see it now. Anyway, Rory eventually goes back to Yale where we have a weird scene with Glenn super awkwardly and so creepily asking this girl out that he's been spying on. yeah okay so she's like sitting on this couch reading and he is like so close to her like his knee must be touching her and he's like over the back of the couch like the way you'd sit on a horse so close to her trying to ask her out for next friday and she's like oh friday's not good for me i'm busy and he's like no you're not on fridays you always eat dinner early watch tv and go to bed around 10 30 she's like you're spying on me he's like close your blinds if you're gonna be so sensitive is glenn gonna murder everyone at the school yeah. I, he's so creepy, man. Him and Shell go on a rampage. Oh, Shell. Shell would murder anybody, but he's got such weak hands. <laughs> what? I fucking hate Shell. He needs strong hands to kill the chickens. Yeah, but he definitely has his ex-wife do it for him. He watches. <laughs> God. Kill it. Kill it, honey. I don't like it when you call me honey. I kill it. Anyway, um, this scene is only here so that Rory can get a phone call in the background. Yeah. She gets a phone call from, like, a distressed Paris. Paris is, like, telling her something about a hospital. Something's happened. Rory's like, what hospital? Eventually, we cut to Rory at the hospital. Ding! That's where that ding is. She's on an elevator, uh, and she's asking a nurse, like, you know, where can I find my friend? I can't seem to find her. And then she just hears Paris yelling at somebody, and she's like, never mind. I know where I'm going. Very much like Emily in that episode where Richard had to go to the hospital. This is almost like a mirror of that, because Paris is just, once again, like Emily was, yelling at some poor hospital staff person. And it's over angina. (laughs) It's once again over angina. Amy Sherman Palladino loves angina, The Matrix, and Lord of the Rings. Loves angina. At some point, this, like, poor guy behind the counter is like, uh, ma'am, you need to, like, calm down, please, and let us do our work. And she's like, you men are always telling us poor women to, like, calm down and be quiet, right? And then she turns to this female receptionist who's just like, honey, please, and walks away. (laughs) 
Uh, Paris is being a lot. She keeps specifically being like, he's a professor. He's important. He needs a moist towel. Let me bring him a moist towel. I think she's mostly upset that she's not being allowed to see him because she's not a blood relative. She says she's got two grown kids. Why aren't they here to see him? Like you said, he's had an angina attack, um, which is the man's vagina. Uh, <laughs> right? Is that? <laughs> yep. It's like a, it's not a heart attack, but it's definitely a signal that you have uh, some arteries that have some clogging going on. You got to clean that vagina. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to douche your arteries. You're fine to go. Yeah, this is the thing. Men don't know they need to clean their vaginas. Yeah, we, we're not taught that. It's not our fault. We're not taught. Paris is upset about not being able to see him, about him being hurt, but also she's upset because seeing him so weak really made her see Asher for what he is. Old. Old. So now she's like questioning everything. Paris is like, I'm 19. I should be out rollicking. He doesn't rollick. And Rory is like, to be fair, he probably never rollicked. He's British. (laughs) Rory's being actually pretty supportive of Paris here and like putting up with her being so, you know, crazy. And like, why don't we go grab a cup of coffee? And when they come back, they're finally able to see him. And Paris is like, you know what? I've seen him for what he is. I think I need to break up with him. So I'm going to go in there by myself. She's like, finally realized he's old and feeble and close to death. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, we don't know that he's close to death. How old is he, 60? He's in his 60s, yeah. I think 65, because he's Richard's age. And that, I think that is much older than that. 60 to 65. I can't remember if Richard turned 60 or 65. But, I mean, she says he looked like he was staring at God when he was yeah. in there on the bed. So she's clearly realizing he's going to die a lot sooner than her. Yeah. Rory tries to be supportive, though. She's like, you know, he could live another 40 years. You could be killed tomorrow. Yeah. But Paris is like, I'm going to go essentially break up with him. So she goes in. He's getting dressed. He mentions that they brought him five moistened towels, and he's grateful that Paris badgered them, I guess, enough to do that. It also seems like Asher wants to have a serious talk, seeming maybe like he wants to break up with her. So I was like, ooh, maybe my prediction was right. No. I was wrong. He keeps going on about how grateful he is about their time together, and he goes on to be like, uh, you know, I'm going to go to Oxford, and, you know, I was thinking of all these things we could do together, but honestly, I'm just going to be super busy. I don't know if we're going to have any time to spend together there, and you'll be super bored if we go, so if you want to reassess our relationship, that's fine. And she's like, oh, so do you want to reassess? And he's like, no, I don't want to reassess. He's had relationships with other students he admits to her, but this one, like, seems different to him. Like, it's better. And he makes a joke about being old, and then Paris says, like, you're not so old. God damn it, Paris. God fucking damn it. What? She's not going to break up with him. Yeah. As soon as she says you're not so old, it's like, okay, you're in love still. She's happy. Let her be happy. For the next day until his heart attack. No. Maybe he'll get skewered. Skewered? From like Adam? Mm-hmm. Or maybe Paris will have a heart attack. Then, while they're talking, a young woman comes into the waiting room and sits next to Rory waiting for Asher specifically. Oh, man. Your prediction maybe is right? Rory thinks this is another one of his, like, student crushes and just says to her, like, he'll be all yours in a minute, girlfriend. (laughs) Not that girlfriend. But then Paris comes out and Paris mentions that she and Asher are going to go home together to do some more planning for the trip, meaning they're not breaking up. And Paris is not faced by this girl. So she must know who this woman is. Yeah. Then Asher introduces the young woman as his granddaughter. Ugh. Ugh. So his grown kids are so grown. Yeah. Like this girl's at least as old as them. Yeah. Rory's just like over it at this point. And it's like, okay, uh, I got to go now. Clearly my friend is dating a dinosaur. So she just like excuses herself and like heads out. Suki, Lorelai, and Michelle are all working on getting a ton of things prepared for the inn opening. There's like pillow sheets that Lorelai is like sewing herself, I guess. Suki says she could stay as long as Lorelai wants because Davy is with their parents and Jackson is sleeping with the zucchini. Like literally sleeping with the zucchini. 
they all go to Jackson's farm to like tell him he doesn't have to do this, that this is too much. But they find him, like I said, literally on the ground on the zucchinis. And Jackson knows the zucchinis are super important to Lorelai's opening. And he knows a cold front might come through. So he's sleeping out there to make sure the heaters keep them warm enough. It's like sweet, but I think Lorelai realizes at this point that she's like demanding far too much from everybody and herself. So she's like, let's all drop one thing. And then they cut some stuff off their list. But they also find out that like, the zucchini patch is just like super comfy. <laughs> it is nice. Yeah, they all really like it. And then you just like fall asleep. It's cute. <laughs> and later they all just wake up the next morning like incredibly well rested. They had a great night's sleep. With so much straw in their hair somehow. Yeah, I don't know where that cold front brought it in, I guess. You could see it around them. And like, how did it get on the blanket? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. While they were sleeping though, TJ had his bachelor party. They go to a strip club where there's mud wrestling on stage. We talked afterwards about whether or not it was a strip club, but a girl offers him a lap dance when they walk in. So, I mean. They might just do mud and lap dances. (laughs) It's not a strip club. They keep everything on. (laughs) Yeah. TJ walks in and says, check out all the fresh nooks. I don't know what nooks mean. I tried Googling it. I don't know what a nook is. Is that why your nose took so long? You were just looking at nooks? Yeah, I was. I mean, I think that's where men get their angina. (laughs) I know what angina is, in case anyone thinks I'm an idiot. It's like pain in because your vagina. <laughs> Vagina's full. <laughs> TJ's like, this isn't really his scene. He'd much rather be spooning Liz, but his guy friends love it. Looks nice. uncomfortable with all that, which I understand. Looks more uncomfortable about lap dance. Yeah, a girl immediately comes up to Luke and asks if he wants a lap dance, and he says no, and then like refuses to even sit anymore. He says no to the stripper and then says, I- I'm just sort of here for the bachelor party. And she's like, yeah, that's uh, why I'm here, too. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Then TJ, like, waxes poetic about the nature of laps <laughs> and whether they actually exist since they disappear when you stand up. They're just an illusion. They're just an illusion. <laughs> this idea kind of blows his dumb friend's mind. I think that one guy's his brother and they kind of look alike. Yeah, they do kind of look alike. Jess is also there, but as soon as he sits down, he just pulls a book out and starts reading, you know, standard strip club etiquette. I I get that he loves to read. I just, I feel like if you're going to come to this bachelor party, which 100% he could have gotten out of. Yeah. He could be like, I can't drink. Why am I going to a bar? But then he ends up stealing the beer of the guy sitting next to him. Yeah. Which Luke sees is like, okay, whatever. Um, I just don't feel like he'd be pressured into going to this. I just feel like if you decide you're going to go to this, it is really rude to bring a book out. I feel like you just shouldn't go to this. You're being supportive still by going to the wedding. Yeah. I guess maybe Luke pressured him to, like, get to know TJ, but then sit and talk to TJ. Whatever. TJ's, like, dumb brother is, like, so excited. He says, like, I love mud. I love wrestling. I love girls. This is everything I love. (laughs) At some point, TJ tries to talk to Jess. He even says, like, you read a lot. You know, I might call you reads. (laughs) Jess is like, oh, you're super smart. (laughs) But TJ does want to talk to Jess. He's like, Liz hasn't said this to you because she's sort of afraid you wouldn't be into it, but she'd actually really, really, really like it if you were the one that walked her down the aisle. Jess declines. He's not interested. But TJ just, like, keeps pushing him to do it. It's kind of like the way he pushed Luke to say goodbye to Liz at the Firelight Festival earlier in the season. Yeah, I kind of like this about him. Yeah. He's, like, sort of a dumb dude, but he's got a lot of, like, love for Liz. Yeah. Where he's, like, not afraid to stand up to these douchey men in her life guys who you might argue are like smarter or stronger even yeah he's like no liz wants this i'm gonna do what i can do to make it happen and this does escalate but i do feel like tj's pushing in a way that's like he's not trying to be a dick he's just like no this is important i really want this Mm -hmm. just keeps pushing nicely at first but eventually jess is a bit of an asshole about it and starts to be a bit of a dick in his responses to tj and kind of a smart alec so him and tj are about to get into a fight when a bouncer kicks them out 
Luke takes Jess back to his apartment. And finally, at this point, Luke has just like had it with Jess to the point of indifference. He's like, you know what? If you really hate your mother this much, then you shouldn't be here. It was a mistake to make you come here. And Jess says he doesn't hate his mom or Luke. He came here because Luke said it was important to him. The reason he didn't want to come to the wedding was Rory. What? Jess tells Luke about how a few months ago he told Rory he loved her, but then he left before she could even respond. Jess seems to think that it's Rory's fault that the conversation ended there, that she could have called him sometime in the last three months to discuss her side of things. Luke is all like, no, that's bullshit, man. Like, you change your phone number all the time. Also, (laughs) Luke starts parroting his, like, love self-help tapes in, like, a super self-satisfied way. (laughs) He's all like, you know, I had this friend. Uh, Let's call him Philip. (laughs) (laughs) Just the look on Jess's face. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? He thought expressing intimacy was a favor to his partner, but expressions of intimacy should be given freely and frequently. You know, Philip was just using his love as a bargaining tool, and that's what you were doing, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) This was, like, super funny. Jess is, like, shocked. It's like, where did you get all of this? Where did this come from? How do you know anything about love? Your marriage was no was like weird and it failed Jess goes on to be like we're just a couple of losers but Luke's like you know things are changing my friend (laughs) my friend clearly from the tape but then the next day Luke drives over to the inn and invites Lorelai to the wedding as his plus one then he goes back home grabs all of his self-help stuff because he's done with them he knows what he's doing he's on the path and he just like dumps it all in Jess's lap it's like there you go buddy and scene there's a moment when he has Lorelai out. Where, I don't know. He's kind of awkwardly backing away, like, pleased with himself. And he, like, yeah. bumps into his truck. And he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, almost, like, apologizes to his truck. Yeah. It's funny seeing Luke like this. You really zipped through that, him asking her out. That's a big moment. Well, it's. I don't know that it seems like a big moment in the time. Like, we see it as a big moment, I guess. You're right. But Lorelai doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. He's like, hey, you know, you're stressed out with the inn. You could use the night off. Why don't you come to this thing with me? Right. It's obviously a big moment to him. You're right. I kind of zoomed through it. But, yeah, that's it. Do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a good one. All the Luke and Jess stuff is great. Love TJ. We talked about it, but it does seem a little a little rushed that Luke is suddenly in this place. I, I feel like I remember him listening to the tapes over more time, like multiple episodes. Yeah. And like the, the stuff with the zucchini patch is sweet. I kind of didn't really care about the Asher stuff. Yeah. That took up a lot of time. Like the, the moments with Rory were funny when the granddaughter showed up, but I, I didn't really care about him and Paris's like conversation. And honestly, it was almost like, we know this relationship is not going to work. And it was like, are we done? We're not done. That was all fake. Okay. So we're going to do this again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't really care about any of that. So Rory wasn't very big in this episode. I mean, like kind of the Lindsay things attached to Rory, but, but yeah, the, the Luke stuff of this episode was very fun and interesting. And the Lindsay stuff was also interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just, I, the idea of like staying home all day while your partner works for things you want, and then you're mad at them for doing that too much, is like, what? Yeah, totally. Now, again, we know more than she does. We know that he is emotionally cheating on Rory, which is not okay, but she does not know that, and that's not what the fight's about. So, Brian, which episode do you think was better? I think Buffy was better. I I think so, too. And maybe only because I didn't care about the Paris stuff, and Mm -hmm. that was a decent chunk of it. Yeah. And because it felt a little rushed. That's exactly my thoughts. But it was a very good episode. Great parts. But I think Buffy was more good longer. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked for a while, guys. Yeah, it's a beer bad. <laughs> Less of it was bad. Yeah. The initiative's so stupid. Absolutely. Um, but that wasn't a ton of it. 
Yeah, that's how I feel. Both were good. I would, you know, these would be other episodes, I think, of each other's seasons. But um, I just think Buffy was a little bit better. I think it just was cohesively better. They're both kind of part ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gilmore, not really, but they, they were setting up this wedding, which I can tell you was going to happen in the next episode. Ooh. Buffy's next episode's a wedding. Is it? No. It's a funeral. <laughs> um, yeah, but both were definitely like, we'll see what happens next week. Yeah. Adam asked Riley to go to the funeral with him. <laughs> uh, but th- this is a hard decision. I really didn't know. But I was like, I, I think overall Buffy's a little more. That's how I felt. Exciting. All right. Well, if you want to watch along next week, we're going to be watching Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 21. Last week, fights. This week, tights. What should I expect? Tights. Okay. We're also going to be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 21, Primeval. What should I expect? This episode's actually kind of, if I had to describe it, I would call it gut-wrenching. Oh, Jesus. Okay. For real. There's like a, yeah. Okay. Spoilers. Sorry. For my feelings. Yeah. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes that we discussed in this podcast. Like, whose face do you see? How would you split up the Scooby gang in season four? Do you think Angel killed those people? How do you feel about Lindsay and Dean's relationship? Are we being too harsh? Would you date Shell? What's Shell's secret? You know he's got one. You know it. What is it? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y, Stacey with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recipes. What? What? Where we post <laughs> weekly video recaps. Of the show, Angel hosts monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share extended episode previews. And shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Susie Walker, Alex, Michael Zaki, Jeremy KCL, Christine Chamberlain, and Amy Eckler. Thank you. Thank you. For more non-podcast comedy content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy, Where we have tons of recipes. <laughs> we have to now, I guess. <laughs> If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of this episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. What do you think Shell's doing right now? I, I hope he's dead for your sake. Yeah, I hope so too. Okay, I love you. I love you. I see your face. I see your face. Hey. Actually, I can't see your face the way we do this. I know, but I do love you. But I see it. You're my partner. Oh, Guys! No joke, I just love you. Oh. Guys! Buffy the Gill.